Alright guys, it's here, episode 3 of the Talking Lead AK Corner, presented by Pioneer Arms Corp. And as always, we've got our other host, I'm going to call a ho-host because he is the other host of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Ansel Robinson, a.k.a. Schwell. How's it going, everyone? It is great to be back. Welcome is back. This, it's been a is while Is this since, a week later? It's a week later. It's a month. <laughs> it feels like two months later, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we talked about in the last episode, Schwell, uh, you guys were preparing an awesome trip for not only me, but some fellow media personnel types. And our special guest expert tonight is none other than Mr. David Fortier. David, welcome in. Hey, and I'm not an expert. I'm just a continual student. Well, you're an expert tonight, so. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we are always students. You're always wanting to learn. And that's why we brought you, because you're going to teach our leadheads among other things, but our topic tonight is ballistics. We're going to talk dun, dun, dun. AK-47 ballistics and AK variants, the AK-74. Uh, and then we'll also get into comparing uh, some other rounds uh, along with that. So we brought David along for this. David literally wrote the book on AK-47s, and he writes it every year. Uh, they have a, an annual book that they put out. Uh, it's called the Book of the AK-47. David, talk about that. Yeah, there it well, is. It, <laughs> I like it. it. This is a uh, publication that's that's put out by Outdoor Sportsman's Group, who I work for, and this is an annual uh, that we started many many years ago. It's been extremely popular. And I was lucky enough to be made the editor a couple years ago. I was working on it when we first started it, and I'm now the editor you know where we are now and it's yeah. just a, it's it's a great title uh it's a great subject matter uh, we focus primarily on the AK47 but we do basically everything com block and we delve a little bit more into it than just your traditional weapon type articles you know sure we have uh suppressors We'll cover night vision, we'll cover cleaning gear, we'll cover, but we also uh, expand out, like we've got a a neat article on uh, the uh, tactics that were used during World War II and prior to World War II that kind of ushered in the need for this type of a weapon, Uh, but we'll even go into stuff like Soviet cinema and uh, uh, book reviews. Yeah, so you guys get get into some great detail on that, so you lead heads and you AK heads, make sure... You go, and where can they find this magazine, David? Oh, this this can be found any place where fine publications are sold. Uh, Walmart, uh, probably your grocery store, normal bookstores. Your books a million. Any place that has like a good that. selection of magazines. There you go. Very good. And you got yeah. you said you've been doing this for several years now, right? Uh, that I can't remember actually what year was the first year that we did book of the AK 47. Uh, I'm going to guess probably around 2007. Okay. So a good, a good while now, almost 10 years, a little over 10 years. Yeah. If someone like me wanted to go get some of those back issues, is that, is it possible to go get the, the back issues on that? How would you find those? Well, the the early issues are actually collector's items now. So, um, <laughs> a 
you, I'm serious. You can find them on uh, eBay occasionally, and they crop up here and there, but we do not have those available. Those sold out a long time ago. So you didn't like stack up five or 10 or 15 just for your own personal collection there? Uh, I stacked up a few of different issues. I wish I actually had more than I did, especially the early yeah. ones that became, you know, that big, would be a big time collector. Yeah, that would be a great resource. Um, so now's the time to start uh, starting your collection with those leadheads. So, yep. so again, one more time, the, the name of the publication that's putting that out. Uh, this is uh, Book the AK-47, and it is a, a uh, SIP from our Firearms News magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Firearms News was originally founded in 1946 as uh, Shotgun News, and most people know it as that. Uh, uh, so this is just one of the titles that we put out underneath that. Very cool. So um, what we want to do now is we want to field some of our leadhead questions and we're going to go to our mailbox now, Schwell. And let's start off with this one. And David, there's going to be some questions in here that you may want to field as we're reading these. So this, I will do my best. This one comes from Kurt, Kurt G. And Kurt says, Marty, good evening. Just listened to episode two and loved it. Vince did an awesome job explaining things. It would be a great regular guest to have on. So we had uh, Vince Buckles on last episode, David. Uh, Vince is with Mesa Kinetic Research, and mm-hmm. uh, he does a lot of custom builds. He and Vickers, Larry Vickers. Oh, right. He, he offers yeah. the class with Larry. Yeah, with Larry The builder's Vickers. class. Yeah, so, right. so uh, Vince and Larry do some awesome custom build AKs. He also offer classes uh, for you guys to be able to learn how to use those AKs after you build them. Uh, so that was our guest episode two. Make sure you go back AK corner episode two, check that out. We talked about all the parts of the AK 47. Uh, Kurt goes on to say, bummer not to win the rifle. Well, I mean, there's still opportunities, right? Schwell? Absolutely. At least once a month, <laughs> at least once a month. Yeah. <laughs> this is our third episode. We're doing 12 of these. Uh, and we're giving at least one away from here on out on, on every episode. Uh, he said, but still exciting to have the shout-out on the air and know our participation is appreciated. Yet another reason this is the best industry in the world, and you do a stand-up job representing it. Well, thank you. So I'll be looking forward to Episode 3 and everything in between now and then, and we'll keep pushing the show uh, to those around me. I wish you safe travels to Poland. Well, we did. We had a great, uh, great trip to Poland. If you'll go back a couple of episodes, David was actually on that episode with us, and uh, we talked a little bit about our trip. Uh, it was a little rushed, but uh, that's something that I want to get you guys back on, David, all the gang. and uh, Absolutely. We're going to talk. It was a whirlwind trip, wasn't oh, it? Oh, my gosh. It was it amazing. It was just hard to soak everything in. I, I couldn't believe the activities that they had for us every single day and every just yeah. about every hour of every day. I mean, we were jam slam. We were doing, if we weren't doing a tour of a factory, we were doing a tour of the city or a museum or a restaurant <laughs> shooting machine guns driving bmps seeing how t72 diesel engines are rebuilt you know interviewing uh polish second amendment uh you know right people there was just so much going on but at the same time we are in a beautiful part of the world the people were extremely pro-american very friendly and uh the food wasn't bad either now was it uh the food was awesome we ate like kings it was unbelievable 
Uh, yeah. We asked him if they eat like that all the time, and he was like, "Yeah, this is kind of how they eat." <laughs> you keep rubbing it in, Our and time. I won't. I won't be back for another episode. <laughs> and they they like their they like their potato juice there too, don't they, David? <laughs> yeah, a little vodka. So yeah, we're gonna Indeed. we're gonna get David and the gang back on. We'll we'll talk more details um, about all that because it was it was amazing. So next email comes from. We can break it down. Yeah, absolutely. A little more detailed on that. Jonathan Gallup, uh, giddy up is what we call him, says, Lefty, first off Poland, sweet, congrats. That actually sparked a question for me. What makes the Radom, or the Rodom, it's pronounced Rodom, what makes the Rodom Polish AKs or Bulgarian AKs such good quality over a Wasser or Romanian? I have my suspicions, but I'd love an expert's opinion or explanation. I mean, they were and are all working from the same original blueprints. Also, why did the Czechs decide to just develop the VZ-58 at CZ instead of using the AK design? Did the Russians not really care that the VZ-58 was out there as long as it took the 762x39 cartridge? Amazing segment. Keep them coming. Safe travels. Make sure you have some authentic... He's calling it Grodziski. Did we have Grodziski beer? I don't know. We didn't drink a lot of beer. We drank some vodka, though. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So, so his first question, uh, what makes the uh, Radom Polish AKs or Bulgarian AKs such good quality over a Wasser or Romanian? You got an opinion on that? Quality control. It just it just comes down to the... Uh, the quality control of the factory, the workers on the line, the work ethics, the uh, amount of firearms manufacturing heritage that these companies had and the effort that they put into it. So, yeah. you know, as you know, the, the, the Cold War era Polish guns tended to be very nice, and it was because uh, they had a lot of things in place to ensure that they had – you know, nice, consistent quality across the board, and they put a little bit more effort into it. But you also have to remember that, you know, Americans are also used to seeing, uh, for a long time, Romanian commercial guns came in. And a lot of those commercial guns, frankly, were made to meet a certain price point of the American importer. So uh, they were they were on the rougher side due to uh, simply trying to meet the demands of an American importer. Yeah. And like you said, it's the quality control. And we saw firsthand uh, a quality quality control system in place when we went to the uh, Pioneer Arms uh, manufacturing facility. It was amazing the, the different amount of hands, you know, physical hands, physical eyes, that touch each part and inspect it and make sure that it's of the finest quality. Well, that's the key to anything is that you have to have good quality control in place. You have to have good procedures in place. Okay. You have to have uh, machine operators that verify their machines are in spec at the beginning of a shift that verify the machines are in spec at the through going through the shift and at the end of the shift. And you have to have people that will, if they're not able to get their machines running properly, you know, to get it set back up properly by someone that can do that, you've got to have, you know, all these little different things that are just part of normal manufacturing for with any company that wants to make a nice quality product. 
Right, and it helps that your employees really believe in your product as well, um, just like absolutely the Pioneer Arms. Employees are most important. The the guy that's that's you know on the assembly line or is running the machine. I mean, these are the most important people there are. Yeah, and it was it was uh, amazing. He was telling us the longevity of their employees. There is like pretty much once they hire somebody, they they stay there for life. <laughs> well, I, I had a question about that now. When I was growing up, Detroit was known for, you know, producing mm-hmm. cars. Yep. Is is it like that over there? Is that how they're perceived at that plant? Uh, actually, that's a great question, Shwell, that I, I asked myself. And there's, there's actually two things to that question. Because on the one hand, you have... You know, obviously, someone that's been doing a job for a long time, you know, tends to be really good at it. On the flip side of this, though, you're talking about former communist countries and the old workers that spent time under communism. They were used to working um, at a different rate compared to um, what a what a Western worker would be like. So there's there's good things about um, a worker with a long long time in his job, but at the same time, uh, the newer younger workers tend to have a different attitude than anyone that worked underneath the communist times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, gotcha. He, I didn't. I never even thought about that. Yeah, he and he made that point too. He's like, you know, some of the newer ones that are coming on, um, they'll be there for a little bit and then kind of like here in america you know they'll get trained up and and learn some skills and then they'll try to get you know better themselves and and do it quickly yeah but uh, the guys that that were there forever like the guy who was making the parts that made the parts that make their parts (laughs) yeah Uh, exactly that guy was like really guarded and he didn't really want to share his trade secrets with anybody it's kind of like job security kind of thing (laughs) for him so he was he was being really secretive on how he did what he did, but um, uh, great company though there, and the employees there were were first rate. Um, so he goes on. Second part of Giddyup's question uh, was regarding the VZ58 and the CZ. Um, so he said, "Why did the Czechs decide just to develop the VZ58 at CZ instead of using the AK design?" Do you have? Can you speak to that? Did the Russians not really care that the VZ58 was out there as long as it? Because they, because they were Czechs, and who are the Russians to come and tell the Czechs how to build a gun? That that's the <laughs> Czech attitude. Okay, these these are people with a long history and illustrious history of making high quality firearms, designing high quality firearms, uh, automatic weapons, um, and so. You know, it, it would have been a big pill for them to swallow to just have, you know, these Russians come and say, here, you know. And frankly, the, the Czechs thought that they could build something better. There's national pride into using your own domestic design. And uh, the VZ is by no means a perfect rifle, but it had a lot of nice features to it, one of which is that it was extremely light and handy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good answer. All right, so our next question comes from uh, CRS Hokey, which is leadhead number one, Chuck. 
It says, uh, look like you're having a blast overseas. Uh, stay safe, brother. So we posted a lot of pictures while we were over there. You guys go to Instagram, Facebook, check out a lot of the videos and, and pictures that uh, we posted. You guys are under, uh, for your Instagram and social media, what's your, your tag, David? Uh, Firearms News. Yeah, Firearms News. Uh, it's at Firearms News on Instagram. So his question says, I have deals with pistol caliber AKs. Seeing how much pistol caliber carbines and ARs have blown up over the past few years, will we see more options in the AK platform? Are there conversion kits available to modify an OTS AK to pistol caliber, or is that even possible given the parts designs? Love the series. Hope it continues uh, on other platforms next year. He's got some suggestions. All right. So what do you think about the pistol caliber? Pistol caliber carbines run in cycles. Okay, so and this is really interesting. It's something that I've, I've tracked for a little bit because you'll go through a period of time, pistol caliber carbines are hot, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants one. And then everyone will get one, and then slowly they'll go out of popularity, and they're unpopular for a little while, and then all at once they come back. And it's just how the industry runs. Currently, everyone's rediscovered just how much fun they are. Uh, they're less expensive to shoot. You can shoot steel with them up close. You can swap the ammunition with your carry gun. Uh, they're less expensive to reload for. And there's... They do basically what a lot of people need to be done because a lot of people out there live in a 100-meter world, and they don't necessarily need everything that a conventional rifle caliber gun will give them. Uh, Now, on the other hand, as far as what's going to happen with pistol caliber AKs, um, that my crystal ball is dead on. I would love to see a bunch of stuff come in or be available that be offered. What we're going to see and when we'll actually see it, I don't know, but I, I think it would be a great thing. And, and I've yeah. shot like the, uh, you know, the pistol caliber Bison and uh, the different Russian sub guns, and, and mm-hmm. they're a lot of fun. Now, I know that um, uh, Kalashnikov USA had on display the last couple of years a 9mm AK. Yeah, yeah. They had their copy of uh, uh, basically the Viking, the Vinteres, and... Where is it? Right. I've yet, we've yet to see it in uh, in mass production. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so when we were over there uh, talking with Mike and uh, Pioneer Arms, they're working on a twenty two, uh, a yeah. an actual AK-47 22 using all the same parts. Well, that I think that point that you just made that they're using uh, regular parts is what the kicker on that is typically uh the 22 ak's that typically have shown up in the u.s market kind of look like an ak but they're not an ak and they're kind of homely and stuff uh (laughs) the concept that they shared for us would be that you know this would be an actual ak rifle but in 22 rimfire and i think that would be pretty cool yeah, and they really made cool. the point. They made the point too, as far as that, uh, where they also uh, hope to be able to get some military export sale on that, uh, as far as a trainer. So, if they're planning on offering it as a military trainer, then you know they're, they're going to have to do their 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 work on it, and it, that could be pretty interesting. Yeah, so that's going to be it's going to be great to see that when they get that available. 
So one more uh, before we get into our main topic here. This is from Jason Farmer, uh, and this was a two-part. So when you guys send me emails, uh, when you send me Jack Wagon nominations, send that in a separate email. Don't, don't lump them with the AK Corner, please. Um, keep those separate. Uh, so Jason had a Jack Wagon, and I'll probably read that next episode. But uh, for the AK Corner, his question is, he says, I enjoy the AK Corner and uh, know you probably already have plans of discussing these topics, but would love to hear them covered at some point. Historical accessories that have been used with the AK platform, night scopes, grenade launchers, mounting options, the modern, uh, David likes that topic, the modern aftermarket mounting options for optics uh, and which ones will hold zero effectively, the modernized, uh, militarized variations of the AK rifle currently in use by Russia and other modern armies in use today. So, yes, those would be great those are topics. All great. Those are all great topics. I, I look forward to listening to those my shows myself. Okay. Well, we may have, have you on for that. So, uh, your wish Ruby. may come true. <laughs> so, uh, But this episode, uh, episode three of the AK Corner presented by Pioneer Arms Corp. We're going to be talking ballistics, and uh, we're going to defer to our expert here as he's floating a bullet across the screen there. Um, where would you think would we should start talking about ballistics on the AK-47? Where would be a good starting point for this? I can bring in a question. The, at the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning. Yes, well, there th- throw, throw it out there. Well, well here's, here's my question. Yep. In the industry, when you're talking to gun folks the ak-47 is very reliable but the round the 7.62 by 3.9 doesn't have any real distance to it it doesn't perform well once it leaves the barrel can you go into that just a little bit and explain to those of us that don't understand why it is that people think that are they right or are they wrong good question it's it's a great question as well and it's Something I think that there's a little bit of confusion on in some in in some areas, um, and it also goes back. Uh, I, I won't go back there right this second, but it goes back to where the cartridge came from and why it came into being. But uh, let's do it the simple way: uh, Is the 7.62 by 39 a cartridge that performs well at long range? Uh, no. Is a 7.62 by 39 an inherently accurate cartridge? Mm, not really. Um, is the 7.62 by 39 cartridge um, uh, suitable for its intended role? Uh, absolutely. Does the 7.62 by 39 have sufficient accuracy for its uh, intended usage? You know, sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. The intended usage. Of the seven six two by three nine round. Okay, well, if if we go back to the very beginning, um, you got to go back. We'll go back to uh, the Great Patriotic War, World War Two. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and we'll ignore um, Fedorov right at the moment. But basically, during the uh, Great Patriotic War, World War Two, you had. Mass armies fighting on the Eastern Front in a com- type of combat that was never never experienced on the Western Front. And the Soviets were basically armed with uh, SVT-40 and Mosin-Nagant uh, 7.62x54R rifles and uh, PPSH-41 uh, and 
some PPS 43 submachine guns in 7.62 by 25. Okay. So the 54R cartridge had reach, it had penetration. The submachine gun was effective up close, you know, for house to house fighting, for bunker clearing. The problem was is that they didn't have anything in between. Realistically, the 54R had a lot more reach than the average infantryman could ever actually make use of in normal infantry engagement distances. Now, on the on the opposite side of the front, uh, the Germans recognized this. They'd done extensive tests uh, or studies during World War One, and basically they came to the conclusion that your average infantryman with a rack-grade rifle, off-the-shelf military ball ammunition, couldn't reliably hit a man-sized target past 400 meters, okay? Uh, because one, the target's probably moving, two, he's probably camouflaged, three, he probably doesn't want to get shot, and four, he's probably shooting back, okay? Right. So th there's a lot of difference between shooting things on a known distance range, uh, nicely painted targets, and uh, actual combat, okay? And that's another thing that people have to understand, too, uh, in in some of the, the, the discussion. But so... Uh, to, to do it quickly, the Germans developed uh, their 7.92 by 33 Kurtz cartridge, uh, which went into the MP4344 and Stummgewehr series. And basically, this combined the best features of the submachine gun and the battle rifle. The Soviets liked that concept, and they basically uh, adopted the concept, developed the 7.62 by 41 cartridge, which became the 7.62 by 39. Uh, they fielded it in the SKS-45 and then uh, the Kalashnikov series. And it was designed with World War II thinking, uh, massed armies, armored vehicles, troops fighting from armored vehicles, around armored vehicles, riding into combat, and a lot of house-to-house -house fighting, fighting in trenches, fighting in uh, bunkers. And the, the cartridge weapon system is at its best inside 200 meters. Uh, it can definitely reach out to 400 meters. Uh, it's not a... Uh, due to the design of the cartridge, okay, you, you have a, you know, relatively fat but short projectile. So the ballistic coefficient of these projectiles is, is relatively poor. Even with uh, the original M43 load that the Soviets introduced, it was a full metal jacket boat tail. Uh, the ballistic coefficient is low. The muzzle velocity is relatively low, around 20, 2,330 feet per second. So once you start to get out past uh, you know 250 yards, you have to start to take into account bullet drop, uh, wind deflection, and lead on targets. So these all kind of come together to make it difficult for your average conscript that doesn't have a lot of training who needs to be able to range his target accurately and then, you know, apply lead, wind, and then press the trigger. So um, the good things about the 762 by 39 is it, is it penetrates intermediate barriers well. It throws a, a large, fairly heavy projectile, um, and it, it is sufficiently accurate. So, you know, it... It, it has some nice features to it. Um, the original loads 
that the United States encountered in Vietnam being used against them. The original ball loads, they got a, they gave the cartridge a really bad reputation as far as terminal performance was concerned. Uh, the steel cord projectiles uh, tended to penetrate a long ways before they yawed. So a lot of times a person could be hit in a leg or an arm or in their torso, and there'd only be a, a clean 30 caliber hole through them if the round didn't tumble. Okay. Now, that's completely different compared to what the cartridge is capable of doing with modern expanding projectiles. So uh, with modern expanding projectiles, the terminal performance is, is very good for this size family uh, of a cartridge. Projectiles tend to penetrate about 16 inches in 10% uh, ordnance gelatin. They expand, you, depending upon the projectile design, Okay, but something uh, like a uh, Hornady SST or even the Wolf uh, soft points, uh, they'll have a very short neck, maybe half an inch to an inch, uh, and they they expand very reliably. How's very that? That's that's great. That's awesome. So uh, basically, the AK performs the way the AK was designed for. You know, it, it wasn't designed to be a long range, um, precise, nope. accurate rifle. So it's now, doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's doing exactly what it's designed to do. Now, that doesn't say that there aren't some examples on the, you know, in people's hands that uh, that shoot well, mm -hmm. okay, and that in the skilled hands uh, can't be taken a lot farther, okay? Uh, there, uh, one of my friends was competing at the... Um, finished Lapua sniper match many years ago. Uh, this was a two-team competition. Uh, the sniper's main, his bolt-action rifle went down during a stage. Uh, his partner had one of the finish, uh, I believe it was an uh, RK95TP in 7.62x39 with an optic on it. And he actually finished out the stage uh, for his partner, uh, and he was making he was making hits out to 650 meters with it. Wow! But again, <laughs> again, this was on you know um, in the hands of an expert. Yeah, it, and it was also on a, on a range under range conditions. So right now, recreationally, I, I'll shoot an AK just as far as I can try to score hits on it. Very good. And then that gets us into, you know, the AK-47 762 by 39 That's what it was designed for. And then, you know, they switched over uh, several years later to the AK-74, which is the... <laughs> the, the there it is, the uh, 545x39 yep. round. So what's what what's the difference in the, the 762 by 39 and the 545 by 39 Okay, two completely different concepts here, and um, what's really interesting is, and I'm going to take you off in a little uh, rabbit hole here for a second because right. that's really what I We're personally enjoy that. doing. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, um, the father of uh, Russian and Soviet automatic weapons was a guy named Fedorov. Okay, mm -hmm. and prior to World War One. Uh, he had conceptualized the idea of having a, a family of automatic weapons. And he wanted to do it in a 6.5 millimeter caliber 
to flatten the trajectory, um, make the point blank range much less than the 762 by uh, 54R, or actually much farther, um, reduce the ammunition uh, weight, um, reduce recoil. Uh, there was a lot of great things about his concept. Very high ballistic coefficient. Um, they ended up actually fielding his rifle in 6.5 Arasaka. He wanted to develop an entirely new cartridge. They weren't able to do it. They had 6.5 Arasakas uh, in Russian service, had the ammunition, let's make it in this, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and that became the famous uh, Automat. Now, um, his concept was sound. His problem was is that he was too far ahead of the time in his thinking, mm -hmm. and with the fall of Imperial Russia and the rise of the Soviet Union, uh, the, the Soviets basically, they weren't able to, uh, at that time period, to go out and, and replace the 7.62x54R. So uh, things continued the way they were. But he, he developed a lot, of, a lot of really interesting concepts, and one of it was, was for uh, a big push for small caliber cartridges, okay? Um, and when the United States fielded the 5.56 in Vietnam, it immediately, you know, uh, was noticed by the Soviets. Uh, a lot of people just think that it was kind of a, the 5.45 by 39 was just kind of a Me Too cartridge. And I don't think that's entirely correct. Uh, the Soviets were... The Soviets were growing dissatisfied with the 7.62 by 39 guns relatively quickly, okay? And there why was, do you think that there was? was a, well, the, the reason why it was is because it was very difficult for them to teach young conscripts how to properly shoot it and control it on full automatic, right. okay? The gun rattled around a lot, and when you're talking about um, a kid just out of high school who's doing his uh, compulsory service, he's only going to be in the military, you know, for two years, and then he's out. Um, there wasn't a lot of time to really uh, bring these guys up to a, a real marksmanship level. Right. And so then when you handed them a gun that rattled around a lot on full automatic, their hit probability went down. So one of the things that the Russians wanted to do and was the whole reason why the AK-74 came about was they wanted to increase their hit probability. And originally, the Russians wanted to ditch the AKM, mm -hmm. and they wanted to move away from the Kalashnikov platform to an entirely new design uh, with a uh, canceled recoil system. Their goal was to dramatically improve the hit probability, and in, in with that project, they developed... Um, what they called a low recoil impulse cartridge, which was the 545 by 39. Now, they never, they lacked the financial resources, even at that time, okay, in the, in, in the late 1960s to transition to an entirely new gun. So they ended up basically modernizing or updating the uh, AKM platform into what became the AK-74. Now, with the AK-74 came the 545 by 39 cartridge. In a lot of ways, I think for general infantry use, that this is a much better cartridge than the 762 by 39. Why? Well, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, your ammunition load is dramatically less than the 762 by 39. Two, 
your recoil impulse is dramatically less. Your hip probability is a lot higher. Uh, the cartridge tends to be quite a bit more accurate than the 762 by 39 uh, It's easier to hit at distance because it has a flatter trajectory. And it also will tends to penetrate with the right loads will penetrate modern body armor and helmets better than mm -hmm. uh, the 762 by 39 Yeah. So all of these things all added up to improve the, uh, uh, improve the lifespan of the infantrymen on the modern battlefield. So there you go. There's a great explanation as to why they switched from the AK-47 to the AK-74. So and, and I really like the 545 by 39 cartridge. So and and that's the one that's in use today. Is that correct? Or is that that incorrect? is correct? Okay, so they're now, still using that one to this day. They are still using the 545. Now, what's interesting though is while I like the 545 by 39, a lot of countries didn't like it. And one of the things that had happened was in the 19, 19 during the Cold War period, the Soviets and the Eastern Bloc, the Warsaw Pact countries, they built a lot of rifles and a lot of these rifles went to various hot spots around the world a lot of rifles were basically given away as foreign aid so there was there was tons and tons of 762 by 39 kalashnikovs in, in africa and south america and asia and a lot of these countries that had these decided that after the soviets made the switch to 545 that they wanted to retain the 762 by 39 And while um, some of the Warsaw Pact countries made the switch to 545 it just never was a success out of Russia and some of her, some of the, her current satellite countries right. uh, that they had hoped for or expected. And the 762 by 39 you know, remains dramatically more popular around the world than the 545. But in Russia, you know, the 545 is still the standard. That's the one, yeah. So why is it that um, when people do their comparisons to the 762 by 39 um, to the American 556 by 45, wouldn't it be more comparable to the, the 308 round? To the three, nah, the, the problem is, the, uh, the, the problem is, is that the United States did not learn the same lesson that the Soviets did during World War II. Okay, the Soviets came away with a whole new plan. Okay, they were going to develop, you know, uh, a new generation of modern small arms to go along with all their new vehicles, their new BMP uh, armored personnel carrier, the new aircraft, okay? The United States came away with a different idea, okay? The United States came away with, you know what? We kicked everyone's butt with yeah. the M1 Garand, okay? And they felt that the uh, caliber 30 M2 ball cartridge worked really, really well, and that the M1 Garand worked really really well and that maybe with a modern update to the design that that would be all they needed now they did that they developed the 762 by you know 51 nato cartridge in the m14 and um it didn't last very long 
in combat in once Vietnam happened. Mm-hmm. It was it was basically uh, U.S. Army ordnance tends to have a uh, not invented here syndrome, and mm-hmm. so they they knew what was best until they didn't know what was best. <laughs> So if if you're going to compare the 762 by 39 to United States Army uh, issue cartridge, uh-huh. the, it, the closest would probably be the 30M1 carbine. Right. But for comparison purposes, you always see it compared to the um, the 556 by 45, which is to me like comparing apples and oranges when you when you're trying to compare the two rounds. Sure. I mean, it's it's a logical comparison because they go to head head to head so much. Yeah. Okay. These are well. These I understand the why they do arch it. Arch rivals. Right. I understand why they do it because that's their battle rifle and the AR-15 is our battle sure. rifle. Uh, but as far as when they when they start comparing, you know, the ballistic characteristics, you know, of the two, there's it's just apples. They don't and, compare. No, they don't compare at all. So it's more. So, they, it compares more. That's, I think the seven six two by three nine is closer to the three hundred blackout round. Absolutely, uh, the three hundred blackout is actually a really interesting cartridge that was developed, you know, for for a specific need and purpose. Right. And what's neat about it is it's dual nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, subsonic, supersonic. Yeah. Uh, swap mags and and, and go uh, from. You know, from a supersonic standpoint, um, it's very similar to a 762 by 39. It it doesn't, it can't quite actually um, meet the 762 by 39 as far as velocity potential due to case capacity, but it's got, uh, it tends to have much more modern projectile designs. And uh, when it's used for the, the same purpose, um, you know, I, I think it performs, you know, very well for what it is. Uh, the 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 subsonic ammunition is a different story, um, and, and you got to keep in mind the the Soviets did issue subsonic seven six two by thirty nine ammunition. They fielded that uh, for a long time with their uh, mm-hmm. special purpose units, that's NAS. So, and those two are basically, you know, virtually identical. You're talking about a thirty caliber around two hundred grains at nine hundred fifty feet per second. But it's a thirty caliber bullet at nine hundred and fifty feet per second. <laughs> it's a big bowling ball coming at you. So we were, you know, people are into accuracy. You know, they're talking accuracy. You know, the AK is sure. not very accurate. Well, you know, they have a platform. They developed a platform for that, for you know their snipers. Talk about that round and that platform. There's three basic platforms that were, you know, saw wide service. Of course, the Russians had their SVD, and they were a little greedy with that. They didn't hand that out quite so much to the the satellite nations. And so the Romanians developed their PSL, and the the Yugoslavs, they they tended to march to their own beat anyways. And they, they were also pretty damn proud of their capability of manufacturing rifles. And they developed their M76, which was actually in eight millimeter Mauser, but what what you started talking about was the uh, the famous uh, SVD Dragunov in seven six two by fifty four R, and it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting concept because it was extraordinarily ahead of its time in um, 
the late 1950s when the project started in 1958 and when it was adopted in 1963, especially if you compare it to what um, the U.S. military was up to. Right. So um, with that round, what's, what's the best American round to compare that to? Oh, the uh, the seven six two by fifty four R is is very similar to either the uh, the old thirty out six or the the seven six two by fifty one NATO. Uh, it there were a couple different military loads uh, in the old days. They had a, a heavy ball load for use in Maxim machine guns for long range indirect fire. Uh, the most common load uh, today is their one hundred forty eight grain. Uh, FMJ uh, launched about 2,830 feet per second. It is inherently accurate. Um, I've talked to en- this, and this is actually interesting because I've talked to engineers at uh, Seller and Balot, um, at Lapua, a um, couple other places in Eastern Europe. And what was interesting was. And well, in, in Russia especially, what was interesting was is they all felt that the 762 by 54R case was inherently well designed as far as accuracy goes, and that even though the military weapons weren't necessarily particularly accurate, um, you, you know, it could be built into a very accurate uh, match rifle. And the Soviets actually won the Olympics with uh, a gun designed by Dragunov. So, um, as far as machine gun use, uh, sniper rifle use, uh, it's at its best inside 800 meters. Past 800 meters, you start to get a, you start to get quite a bit of wind deflection in there. You start to get uh, quite a bit of drop. It can definitely reach farther than that. But as far as first round hits, it's at its best inside 800 meters. Uh, it's it is a very traditional round as far as you know uh, bullet weight and. And performance. Uh, what's unique about it, though, is that it was developed in 1891. Okay, so you've got that that big rim that's sitting there, and you know it's 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 a dinosaur. This is a 19th century rimmed cartridge that remains in frontline service around the world today. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to Dave talk. And I've probably told Dave this a million times. I, I remember watching him on television. I read I suck on TV. I, I read everything <laughs> that he he uh, he publishes, and I find his articles on websites like AR15.com and stuff like that. So sitting here, having him have this discussion with us, I'm extremely entertained. And you're a fan boy. Honored, yeah, yeah, honored honored to, to be here and to be able to have to participate in this and so i'm just taking in all of the information because just like with a lot of our listeners i'm learning quite a bit through this so conversation. that's what you got i mean that's that's what you have to do i mean the the, the point is is that if you, if you're open-minded you can learn something from just about anyone you know and that's why i like hanging out with you guys i you know, me and Marty had a blast in in Eastern Europe, and I, I I always enjoy being around Schwell. You know, and you know we're we're talking about we're talking about cool guy stuff. You know, commie <laughs> right. ammo, commie cartridges. Okay, if if we're gonna jump on the SVD, just just for one more second. Yeah, okay? do it. Do it. Uh, l- let me point out the fact that the. 
what's interesting about this was th- this was the first, you know, ground up sniper rifle. Okay. And by that, I mean, typically before sniper rifles had been, uh, infantry rifles that someone threw a scope on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were hand selected for accuracy, uh, during their initial, uh, test. Okay. The SVD was a completely different animal. This was a rifle that was built from the ground up specifically for shooting people at long range. Okay. And it was built totally based upon all the lessons learned during World War II. Okay. And you have to remember the Soviets were the absolute dominant force when it came to sniping in World War II. There was no one else that even came close to their capabilities. The amount of sniper rifles that they fielded, the amount of equipment that they developed. Um, and if you read German act, after action reports during World War II, there's always this huge threat. Now, they, they took all this information back after the war and they sat down and they didn't just develop a rifle though. They developed a rifle they developed an optic, and they developed a cartridge, okay? So the rifle was this uh, really, really sexy-looking uh, semi-automatic rifle. Uh, it, it looked like it's, – it's a very futuristic look even today. You know, thumbhole stock. Mm-hmm. And the rifle was designed by a guy who had designed a rifle that won the Olympics, Okay. Um, and that's a that's a really funny story in itself that I'll have to tell at at some point. Sometimes I think you should tell but, that. Yeah. Okay. Well, re- real. I'll do it real quick. Okay. Okay. Um, you can't just leave us hanging the, on that, so you got to tell it. Okay. <laughs> well, the Russians hadn't actually competed at the Olympics in a long time. Okay. So in 1912, they showed up at the to the Olympic Games in London. But they were two weeks late because the games were already over because they were on a different calendar. <laughs> okay, now think about that. So the Russians show up. Woo! We're here for the Olympic. Yeah, that's like you're a little late. And yeah, oh, we're over. on the wrong calendar. Okay. <laughs> then World War One happened, right? And then the revolution happened. And then they became commies. So they, they weren't invited, they or they didn't attend. They had a lot of other things going on, uh, that like purges and stuff. Then World War II happened, and the first games that were held after World War II, they were they were invited to, but they didn't go to because they had a lot of things going on in their own country and they weren't really ready. But they decided that they were going to go to the next Olympics, and they really wanted to make a point, okay? Because they're commies, right? Um, and so they decided that they, when they went to the shooting competitions, they were going to kick some butt. And so th- they went on a um, – they, they basically put it out that they wanted um, anyone that was available that was capable of doing it to submit Olympic-grade competition rifles uh, for possible use. And uh, Evgeny Dragunov did that. His design was chosen, and it went with a very young Soviet, unknown Soviet uh, a competitor uh, to the Olympics. And he shot against literally the best in the world. No one knew who this young kid was. And it came down 
that the person that they expected to win the Olympics was standing there side by side with this young, unknown Soviet kid. They're tied. They're going shot for shot. The, the time is running out. This crowd like swells up behind them. They're all watching them. And just before the time runs out, this young Soviet kid watching the wind, squeezes a trigger, sends a round off, and you know, he, 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 he wins, the, uh, wins the game. And suddenly he became a force in na- international competition. And it was the Soviets doing so well in international competition, which actually led to uh, the formation of the AMU, the Army Marksmanship Unit. And they were specifically tasked with, you know, beating the Soviets. Uh, but the point was, is that the guy that invented that rifle that that young Soviet competitor used was, was Dragunov. And Dragunov wasn't known in the Soviet Union as the guy that designed military weapons. He was known as the guy that built these really kick-butt accurate competition rifles, and he loved competing. Dragunov was a guy, Dragunov was a shooter-shooter, okay? He was the type of guy that you would have loved to have a conversation with. He, he went, he competed, he shot, he'd sit there and he'd BS with guys on the line and shooting, and he was just a really fun, nice guy. And so uh, he was asked to be one of the uh, people that designed a sniper rifle for the Soviet Army. A mm-hmm. uh, number of different uh, designers were tasked with that, including Kalashnikov, and his his SVD sixty three was was the the eventual winner. Now, with that rifle, though, was this hugely advanced optic? Okay, because you got to stop and think. This is nineteen sixty three. Um, in nineteen sixty three, the Russian SVD PSO one optic it had a telemetric rangefinder, it had mill marks on it, it had a BDC. It had wow. illumination, and it had the ability to detect active IR. Okay. Wow, so this was in '63. This is in '63. Okay. That seems very so, advanced. Yeah. Oh, it was extremely advanced, especially when you consider what you know the, the United States Army was using. Okay. <laughs> the, the United States Army wasn't using anything because they right. shut down all their sniper schools and stuff. Snipers were unimportant. Okay. Uh, and you know that was something that the Americans traditionally did. So they had World War II leftovers, or in the case of Vietnam, they had to press in some uh, some competition rifles from out of Hawaii. But um, and then in addition to that, that very advanced scope for its time, they also knew that in order to get the most out of the rifle, you needed good ammunition, right? Mm-hmm. So. Rather than having the rifle depend on standard ball, which it, it could shoot, they developed a specialized sniper load for it called the 7N1. And this was a, a basically a military match-style load, except for with a twist. And the, the twist was they designed the projectile with the early yaw cycle so that it would increase the terminal performance on target. Mm-hmm. So, the ammunition was held to a higher standard. It had special projectiles in it. The, the powder charge was carefully regulated, and it all led to a more consistent, more accurate load that was specifically designed to be teamed with the SVD. And so that was that was their complex there, along with a, a, you know special training and extra uh, equipment and such. Gotcha. 
So that's that, that's my story on the 54R sniper load. That was a good one. I like that. I like the Olympic story. So that's their that's the the Dragon off the 762 by 54. That's their precision sniping um, round and, and platform. general purpose machine gun round. And general purpose machine gun round is the uh, 762 yep. by 54. And what's the machine gun again that they're uh, a PKM RPK was their squad automatic weapon and in, in uh, 7.62 by 39 and then okay. as RPK 74 and 545 gotcha we didn't talk magazines yet how important are the magazines to our ballistic discussion do you think it ties in any do we need to talk about magazines or is it relevant at all do you think uh, not to ballistics but okay. um, the magazine is critically important to any auto-loading firearm okay there's there were a lot of guns that were cursed with bad magazines mm -hmm. like like the the french show show during world war one um wasn't a great gun to begin with but uh, i tell you what the magazine design <laughs> really didn't help it out any um so uh the french should magazine, stick to pastries okay <laughs> yeah, that's a great magazine is, you know, just going to enhance the the reliability of, a, of, of any firearm. Yeah. And the Russians tend to build very, very robust magazines. And can you guess why they do that? Because they want to be the best? Because they had a lot of guns with crappy magazines before. <laughs> before? They were sick of crappy magazines? Yeah. Uh, like but, an SVT-40. Well, that's one of the, the distinctive characteristics of the AK-47 is that, you know, that curved magazine. And you don't, you don't really see that on any other rifle platform other than the AK-47. You're talking as far as the, the shape of it, which is dictated by the, uh, the taper of the cartridge? Right. You know. Well, the, you know, the, the one, the other one that's commonly known that is even more tapered would be the show show an eight millimeter label. And that was actually a half moon and yeah. that was 20 rounds instead of 30 rounds. But yeah, the, uh, the, I think, um, it, I was at a military trade show in, um, in Abu Dhabi, uh, a, f a number of years ago and by the Remington booth and there were, um, some Russian engineers there mm -hmm. and they were trying to be polite and talk to the Russia, uh, to the Americans and be friendly and stuff. And, uh, they were interested in the ACR and the ACR that was on display had, uh, a P mag in it. And so they were looking at the P mag and they were jibber jabbering back and forth, uh, among themselves. And then they were trying to ask questions, uh, to the, uh, the Remington rep and, uh, they didn't really get anywhere and he was kind of being, you know, a little bit short with them. And I basically, ex I explained it to him and I said, look, they're asking you that if this is the actual combat magazine or if this is just a display magazine. Uh -huh. And he was like, well, why would they ask that? I was like, well, because they can't actually believe that you would field a magazine in combat like this. Uh, because compared to what they're used to, the AK-74, you know, this looks really flimsy and breakage prone and it, they're used to having, you know, uh, uh, metal liners in the, in the feed lips and metal reinforcements where the magazine locks into the into yeah. interface. Well, overkill. Firearm. Yeah. Really overkill. 
Um, and it was just kind of funny, you know, that they thought that, you know, this was just some cheap uh, display magazine. Yeah. So back to the AK-47 magazine, why does it have that curve to it? Is there is there a um, oh, absolutely. philosophy that, I mean, of use for uh, that? No, it, it's simply magazine profile is not dictated by what's going to look sexy or something like that. It's dictated by the taper of the cartridge and how the cartridges stack. Now, one of the one of the features of the 762 by 39 is is that it's a uh, a rimless tapered uh, cartridge, and that taper tends to aid uh, feeding and extraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's when you take a bunch of these and you double stack them side by side and then you stack them on top of each other in order to get them to feed properly, uh, it requires a curvature to the magazine. And that's actually one of the reasons why 762 by 39 AR-15s have problems mm-hmm. with feeding. Okay. Because Interesting. What, what happens is, is that the... The AK doesn't really have a magazine well like the M4 uh, AR-15 series, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that 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 long magazine well dictates how far down the magazine has to be straight before it curves. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when you switch it from a 5.56 to a 7.62 by 39, and you have to have a straight section before it curves um it you know it's it's not ideal for the cartridge and it tends to lead to problems uh, as well as a lot of the magazines were were you know shoddily made for the commercial market but gotcha. but that's why the tapers there that's why you got and the that's taper. why the five that's why the 545 magazines don't have same shape because the the the, the shape of the cartridge is a little bit different okay well that's a great magazine too what is your um, when you hear people talking about AKs, David? Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? What is what is a myth that you hear out there constantly that people are repeating and believe that you'd like to debunk? Oh, geez. Um, in my lifetime, because I'm old, okay, the AK went from being. Um, held in incredibly high regard as the absolute epitome of reliability that the the troops that faced it in you know Vietnam held it in extremely high esteem and in the gun press during the war and after the war you always heard about you know how reliable the 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 Kalashnikov was and then it kind of went the other way with the veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, where suddenly the AK fell from grace and it was it was considered you know fairly unreliable and um, you know vastly inferior to the M4 carbine. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the guns encountered in the Middle East were just beat to snot, poorly maintained. The other thing was a lot of the ammunition encountered in Iraq was fairly poor quality, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I think, I think a, a properly well-built Kalashnikov um, can, can be very reliable, and 
even in seven six two by thirty nine, you know, can shoot, you know, fairly well with a with an optic on it. Or if you're younger than I am and you still got your eyesight, so I would say my pet peeve when it comes to the AK would simply be um, uneducated people talking about that which they do not know. And we're correcting that by offering the Talking Lead AK Corner presented by Pioneer Arms Corps and having on intelligent, smart people like yourself to educate those that don't know so they won't be ignorant anymore. (laughs) They won't be AK ignorant. So I've learned a a lot today. I know you've put out a lot of information, um, and I know that our lead heads are going to have to probably – rewind this and play it back a couple of times to get all that information that you've that you've given out is there anything that you think that uh is is pertinent to our ballistics discussion that we've not gone over yet yeah actually if you don't mind spending a uh you know just a, another minute i'd Love like to, to i'd yes. like to touch on i'd like to touch on a, a couple cartridges that were begot by the 762 by 39 mm-hmm. okay um it's interesting to note that um, the 762 by 39 kind of led to two other popular cartridges. Uh, one is the, the, the 65 Grendel, okay? Mm-hmm. Very popular so, around, yeah. The, the 6.5 Grendel, uh, the development process started in 2003 on this by uh, Bill Alexander. Uh, originally, uh, him and another gentleman who was a competitive shooter named Arnie Brennan, they, they played with a 6.5 PPC-based cartridge. Um, later on, uh, Bill Alexander worked with Lapua and a Finnish engineer ya- named uh, Yanni Poizespa. And uh, Yanni decided that seeing as Lapua already had the capability to build uh, 220 Russian cases – that they would they would base it on that, and this was um, you know a cartridge that had been developed directly from the 762 by 39. So the 65 Grendel, in a roundabout way, you know, is uh, a direct relative of the 762 by 39. And it's also interesting to note that the the Russians played around a lot with that basic cartridge. They developed a lot of cartridges that, that were never adopted, that never saw the light of day, and that probably a lot of people don't know about. And it's my understanding that they did play with uh, six and six millimeter, 6.5 millimeter variants of uh, the cartridge case. But what's interesting is, is that the, the 6.5 millimeter Grendel uh, was designed by a Brit and a Finn for the U.S. commercial market, and then um, it ended up being adopted by the Serbian army uh, in a Kalashnikov uh, as a designated marksman rifle, and then being built in Russia uh, in hunting rifles. Really? So that is yes. interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, and I, th- you know, actually, I think if you're going to if you're going to update the seven six two by thirty nine. The 6.5 Grendel would be a great cartridge to use. It's got the same case head, so you've got the same bolt. You don't have to change the bolt. The only thing you'd have to change is the barrel, the magazine. Uh, The exterior ballistics of the 6.5 Grendel uh, just totally blow the 7.62 by 39 away due to the the, through the use of very. 
aerodynamic projectiles with mm-hmm. uh, high ballistic coefficients. It's just a, it, it works well up close. It works well at, uh, at surprisingly long ranges. Another cartridge is the 9x39. And uh, there's actually a Kalashnikov that's, that's chambered for this, uh, the AK-9. Talk about this that 9x39, was- yeah. This is the exact opposite of the 6.5 Grendel. Uh, this was actually a Russian military project. Um, the, as I had mentioned previously, the, the Russians had fielded subsonic 762 by39 ammunition for use with suppressed AKMs. And the Spetsnaz fielded those in Afghanistan, and they are used in different hotspots around the world. Uh, but there were some drawbacks to that entire platform. Uh, the, the complex, uh, the rifle, the suppressor, and the cartridge, the subsonic cartridge. And after action reports basically were that uh, the end users were dissatisfied with the accuracy of the system, of the combination, as well as the terminal performance and penetration. So the Soviets set out on a, um, a you know, began working on developing a suppressed sniper system in a new subsonic cartridge and they played around with uh the 762 by 39 it didn't meet their needs they actually tried a 762 by 25 Tokarev cartridge loaded with the 152 grain uh projectile from the 762 by 54 r sniper load that we talked about but it didn't. It didn't meet all their requirements. They tried uh, a 545 cartridge as a base, necking it up, and they eventually settled on taking the 762 by 39, necking it up to take a 364 diameter projectile. Um, developed a uh, 250 grain projectile and launched it at subsonic velocities, and. It worked very well when it was first introduced uh, into uh, combat by Spetsnaz in Chechnya. Uh, it was uh, very quiet. It was sufficiently accurate. Uh, they felt that it, w- it was very useful out to 300 meters with a bullet drop compensating uh, optic that they had on it. Uh, and they said that there were multiple occasions when Chechnyans didn't r- realize that they were being engaged and uh, they would have half a squad eliminated before they even realized they were being shot at. And the cartridge has continued in Russian service. Uh, it, it, it expanded out and branched out from just sniper weapons into PDWs uh, because it works extremely well from, from short barrels. Mm-hmm. And uh, most recently, it's it finally come to the U.S. I always wanted to see 9x39 in the U.S. just because I think it's a neat cartridge. And, it you know, it's like anything else that you can't have, you want it. Uh, and so... It's finally showed up, and now so who's developing? Waiting. Who's got the rifle for that? Well, that's what we're all waiting for. Is <laughs> right. the ammunition's here? It's for sale. You can go to ammunitionstore.com and buy the ammo. But we're we're all waiting on guns. I've had the chance to shoot some prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Krebs Custom is coming out with both an AK and uh, an AR in nine by thirty nine. Interesting. Uh, okay. Wolf is working on an AR upper in 9x39. There's an, there's also uh, a couple other companies that are working on 9x39 guns. It is a 
boatload of fun out of a ten and a half inch AR. Uh, I I was, I was using a uh, silencer co Osprey 45 suppressor. I borrowed uh, off one of my friends while we were shooting together and it is shockingly quiet. Uh, the impact of a 278 grain, 36 caliber FMJ on steel, you know, is impressive. And we, we actually shot it out to 400 yards on steel. And I think that, uh, once, the guns are out. I think the the main drawback is that they someone is going to have to pony up the dough and make a dedicated magazine just for nine by thirty nine. I was I was uh, using seven six two by thirty nine mags, eh. but um, I think that that is a real interesting cartridge that is based off the famous seven six two by thirty nine. Very cool. Interesting points there. So thank you for sharing that. Um. I think that's that's probably ballistic overload at this point. So, uh, unless you've got anything else to add, uh, Schwell? No, sir. I was just thinking, let's make sure we bring up the uh, the book of the AK one more time, at least. And um, Yeah, definitely we're going to do that. Um, so, David, thank you so much for that wealth of information there on ballistics. If you guys have questions as you're listening to this, something pops into your mind, uh, shoot me an email, talkinglet at gmail.com. And I'll make sure that uh, we get that to David and see if he can't field that question uh, for you. Uh, but like Schwell said, their their annual is out, the book of the AK. You can pretty much get that on any magazine stand, uh, anywhere where you buy your, your firearms magazines. It's going to be there. David writes, again, he writes for the Firearms News. You, they have a number of different publications, David. what Name all those publications that you guys have. Uh, well, I can't name or, them all because we're the largest publisher of gun magazines <laughs> right, in the country. Right. But uh, I, I edit two titles, Book of the AK-47 and Be Ready Magazine. I'm the senior field editor for Firearms News Magazine. I'm a field editor for Rifle Shooter Magazine, and I write for uh, some of our other annuals. I'm uh, one of the hosts on Guns and Ammo TV, and you can see some of my stuff on some of our, our websites as well. And it was just Great being here with uh, with you, Marty, and uh, hopefully I wasn't too boring. I tend to ramble and go down different no, rabbit trails. No, you are the perfect guest because you know we throw you the ball and you run with it, and that <laughs> and we just try to catch you the whole time. So that was awesome. Uh, again, thank you so much for that information, and we're gonna have David back on again. Like I said, uh, we're gonna get him on our regular show, Talking Lead Podcast. Uh, we're going to find out uh, more details about David. We're going to get a little history. We'll hit him with the new guy questions, and uh, we'll find out more about their publications. And uh, he's just—he's a wealth of knowledge for just pretty much anything firearms related. So, um, and one one of the things that I'd like to say is yes. that uh, one of the things that I really like about Marty is how much of a staunch Second Amendment supporter he is. And we had some great conversations while we were in Poland. Um, it was it was really, really good hearing him espouse his views and just how how much of a supporter he is of our God-given rights. And uh, that is, you know, one thing that really stood out to me. I mean, we had a lot of fun. And we had some great times, but, you know, just his core beliefs really impressed me. And that, that's one of the reasons why I just was glad to be here. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. We're going to get, like I said, we're going to get you on again. We're going to get the Leadheads more familiar with you 
uh, in some upcoming episodes. I, I want. I wonder if you would do me a favor. We've got one more leadhead here that's got some questions. Yep. And I think we've answered some of these, uh, but I'm going to go through these real quick. John B., some people like their last names said, some of them don't. So uh, it says, hey, man, got some AK questions. Is the AK modular like the AR-15? Are parts easily interchangeable between AKs? I think we answered that um, in the last episode with, with Vince. They're, they're really not as no. as interchangeable as the AR-15, uh, not by a long shot. What differentiates the AK-74 from the AK-47 and the AKM? I think David answered that uh, pretty well today with the, uh, you know, the ballistics. Uh, it's mainly it's different. It's a different caliber. Well, and you know, you have different uh, different receiver too. The, sure. the 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 traditional well-known AK-47 is a milled receiver. So there there are you know a number of differences. Yeah. Besides the caliber. Mainly, it's the caliber. What is the purpose on the lever over the gas tube on some AKs? Uh, I believe, well, he can only be talking about two things. One would be the lever to take the, to remove the, 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 the gas tube, your routine maintenance. Now, but he could be talking, what I think he's actually talking about is a gas shutoff valve that is on some guns, like some of the Yugoslav guns for grenade launching. Mm. And that is usually incorporated into a, uh, a folding, uh, site for launching the grenade, and when you unfold the sight to be able to uh, use it, it automatically shuts the gas off to the rifle, and a blank cartridge is inserted, and the grenade is launched. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that's what he's talking about, because he says some AK, so yeah, that's yep. that's the one he's talking about. Why do some AKs have two slots in their handguards, and some have three? Uh, manufacturer. Just uh, more vents? Uh, just to help, you know, how they made them. Yeah. Okay. So no, no real benefit. Two versus three. Uh, I don't. I do not think so. But it is actually funny because the Soviets did do extensive studies on the airflow through the handguards, mm-hmm. and from what I was told, okay, by a Russian engineer, if you have, if the vents are too large, uh, the airflow is actually. Uh, reduced. It would be opposite of what you think it would be. So okay. th- they were designed for uh, a, a specific reason, according to what what I what I was told. Sure. And his last one is AKs are ultra reliable even when not cleaned. How long can I go without cleaning an AK? So basically, how long can you go without cleaning his AK and expect it to work? Um, I don't think that's been determined yet, has it? Eighty-seven. <laughs> You know, there, there is no answer to that. One, you know, um, you should always maintain your firearms. You should clean them. You should properly lube them. There's a, there, there's a current fetish out there now not to clean your firearms. And I'll admit, you know, there are times that I'm guilty of that as well. But, uh, you know, why not clean it and, and maintain it? You paid for the damn thing. Why right. not take care of it? It's like, do you, do you change the oil in your car? Yeah. Um, but, um a properly built AK with good ammunition should be able to run reliably, you know, without any problem through thousands of rounds. Yeah, uh, I put, yeah. I put five thousand rounds through one without cleaning it, and there were no issues. Yeah, but you eventually cleaned it, right? Afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah. After the test. Yeah, but you were doing you were doing a test, so I don't think he's going to be just shooting. I was 5, doing a rounds. test. 
So just clean it like you would yeah. your normal firearms, uh, especially if you're going to shoot this corrosive ammo through your AK. You want to clean it. If you're going to shoot corrosive, yeah. you don't have any choice. You've got to clean it. Yeah, you got to clean that as soon as you're done. But yeah, go to Modern Spartan Systems. They've got a great uh, line of cleaning products there, and uh, that'll keep your AK running even better. So, all right, that does it for our section on ballistics. Again, David, thank you. We're getting ready to do our giveaways now. So, Schwell. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we're going to reach into our, you want to go to Instagram, Facebook? Where do you want to go to pick our first winner? And what are we um, going to give first? Are we going to give the kit away or are we going to give away the rifle? I say we go kit first, then we go help up. Okay, so we're going to be giving away an AK parts kit here. And what all does that uh, include or what does it not include? Probably be easier. Yeah, what it's missing, what, you, what you'll have to add to this kit to complete your rifle would be a barrel and a receiver. There you go. So for you hands-on leadheads that are out there, um, this is going to be for you. So let's go to... I think we should go to Instagram for this. And, Do it. And as, go ahead. as we were scanning through and just kind of looking at who comments and who likes and who has who's following us, who's following um, uh, Piner Arms, Navy Vet Patriot has popped up a lot. Now, there's there's a lot of you guys out there that have that have been doing the Instagram and the Facebook. But uh, Navy Vet Patriot just kind of stood out to both Schwell and I. So the kid is going to you. And that's Woo! Roger B. You know who you are, Roger B. Navy Vet underscore Patriot. Congratulations. You win the AK kit from Pioneer Arms. Congrats to you. Awesome. Send me an email, talkylet.gmail.com, uh, with your contact info. Make sure they, the kit, though, they don't have to be any certain. It's not going FFL or anything. We can ship it directly to them, right? Correct. I can just put a label on the box and ship it out. There you go. Shazam. Shazam. It'll be Christmas. <laughs> so we want to see uh, we want to see that finished product. And if you need uh, help, uh, tips and tricks on getting those those parts or getting it together, get in touch with us and we'll hook you up uh, with some qualified people. You know, Vince can do that as well from last episode. Yes, sir. Take one of those classes with him and Larry. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> right? That would, that would be pretty kick butt. So they're all full this year, so you're going to have to wait till next year, until they offer next year. All right, so let's give oh, uh, let's give a help up away. David, Woo! we're going to give a help up away, baby. For those of you that don't know, the help up is the 762 by 39 pistol. AK by Pioneer Arms Corps. There you go. And we gave two away last episode. Uh, we gave away to, who were the lucky winners last week, Swell? Josh and, uh, was it Troy? Josh and Troy, that's right. Josh, uh, which is Squash EDC and Troy S uh, were the lucky recipients. And they sent us pictures. They posted them on our social media. Uh, haven't really seen any action shot shots from those guys yet, so send us some some shots at the range, guys, with your AK. Yeah, they're definitely not designed to be safe queens, guys. No, no. Put them out there. Get, get some use out of them. And uh, I kind of noticed 
you know, Troy and Josh slacked off a little bit on their their engaging with us on social media and email sending in. Just because you win, man, don't slack. Keep keep those questions coming. Keep the comments. Keep liking our posts, sharing our posts. Um, you know what? I, I think that they were just um, getting acquainted with those those new guns. I think it's probably you know, good, lo- loading magazines, emptying them, reloading them, and emptying them, and racking, stripping them, the charging them apart, yeah. putting them back together. Yeah, they I understand, busy. guys. I'm yeah. a I'm a gun nut too, guys. I understand. Yeah. So so pick up the because we will come and re, we'll confiscate those. <laughs> so keep up keep up the uh, the the following, the likes, the the sharing. We appreciate that. So now, next one, we're going to go... Where are we going? Facebook? For the help up? Go for it. Okay. So, again, I mean, you guys are doing great on Instagram. You're doing great on Facebook. Uh, Sending us questions and comments and just everything. It's it's great. It's been overwhelming. Um, But this week... Our standout lead head that's going to be taking home the Pioneer Arms Help Up is Ashley and Alex Kellum. I'm pretty sure it's Alex that's been doing everything. Congratulations. So, Alex Kellum, congratulations. Again, you have to meet all the federal, local, state laws uh, before you can have this. So if for some reason you're not able to uh, to take this rifle, let us know as soon as possible. Uh, and, you know, we'll have to give it to another leadhead. But uh, send us uh, an email, talkingleadgmail.com. We need his what, FFL info. Is that what it is? Yes, sir. We'll need some of their personal information as well as the uh, the FFL information, and we'll get in contact with the FFL and do what we have to do on our end. There you go. So just shoot me shoot me the email. I'll forward it to Schwell, and he'll get in touch with you on all the particulars there that you need. So very good, guys. There you go. We are we're killing it on the AK corner. That's what three? That's four four rifles that we're giving away so far. Serious? You got to help out. Everybody gets help. Everybody gets a help up. So. <laughs> So there you go, guys. There's four of our giveaways of the uh, of our 12-part series. So we've got, what's 12 minus 4? 8, sir. So eight. we got eight more to go, right? And eight CJ more. we supposed to be here tonight. Right. Yeah, it's been... North, North Carolina helping out with uh, uh, the, the hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane Florence, uh, as you guys know, and we got a lot of listeners that are out there too. So we are thinking about you guys. Uh, let us know that you're okay out there, and if you're not, if you need help, you need assistance, get in touch with me. Our uh, our buddies from Sheepdog Impact Assistance are going to be out there in full force, uh, so if we can get them over to help you guys if you're in need, uh, shoot me an email. You guys shoot me a personal message on uh, Facebook or Instagram, and uh, I'll make sure that we get some sort of assistance over to you. Uh, but yeah, thanks to CJ for for going out there. Um, he's boots on the ground right now as we speak. Well, on a chair maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to make him sound useful. 
<laughs> he was supposed to be here tonight to make a special announcement about next month's giveaway. Yeah, so we're gonna let we're gonna <sighs> let Schwell do that. Um, hopefully, he's accurate. Uh, so next month, <laughs> we're giving away another AK, but there's a, there's a little little specialty to this one, right? Yes, sir. This AK is gonna come. Cerakoted by Blackout Custom Cerakote. They're a, a local company here in Central Florida that handles a lot of Cerakote stuff for us. Quality stuff. CJ got with them and they came up with the design. I don't even know what the design looks like, so it's going to be a surprise for me. It's going to be surprising well as all you. of us. Yeah, it's but gonna, it's going to be cool. Oh, absolutely. The Tucker and the team over at uh, Blackout Custom Cerakote. They're yeah. very uh, creative when it comes to this stuff. So and we've I had. Think it's gonna be We've had the mother trucker Tucker on the show before. He's, I think he's been on a couple of times, actually. So our leadheads are familiar with Blackout, uh, Cerakote Custom. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I don't know what it's going to look like. So one of you leadheads, um, one of you AK leadheads is going to win that next month. So make sure you are engaging with us on social media. Uh, you're following us, uh, Talking Lead, Pioneer Arms, Firearms News, you know, um, Vince Buckles over at Mesa Kinetic Research. You know, we're going to be checking into that. Make sure that you are supporting uh, the people that come on our show as well. That's going to play uh, into it just as much as your participation. And send us your questions. If you've got questions uh, from any of our episodes uh, or uh, episodes for future that, uh, that you think we should talk about, send those in, talkingled at gmail.com. And make sure you put in the subject, AK Corner. And if you got Jack Wagon nominations or stuff for our normal show, send that in a separate email, please. It's going to help me out a lot. And don't send me your suggestions on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> it's just too hard for me to track down, guys. Um, but I do my best. I try. So thank you to, to all the leadheads out there for your participation and your support and making the AK Corner such a success. Thank you to David Fortier. David uh, awesome show. I know the lead heads are going to love this and uh, looking forward to having you back on, buddy. Sounds great. Hopefully, hopefully I don't ramble too much. No. Hey, you're, you're still one of my favorite people in the industry. It's always an honor to be around you and to have these discussions with you. Well, I feel the same way about you, Swell. And it's just, I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's a lot of fun. And David, your rambling is more intelligent than most people's um, uh, lectures. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment, by the way. All right, guys, until next month, we're out of here. <laughs>